All right, so John chapter 5. So just to introduce the, this section of John 5, I just want to kind of talk about um, the way people see Jesus. Because this section in John 5 is all about um, Jesus declaring who he is and declaring his deity, declaring his equality with God the Father. That he's not just a man, he's not just a good teacher, a good rabbi, but he's, he's God. And so this is a section that really deals with that. But I think in our experience, there are, there's really four basic positions that people take concerning Jesus. Because, you know, not everyone, we, we, we know this, not everyone believes in Jesus. And, and people can believe in the historical accounts concerning Jesus, but they can deny his deity. Um, and so, but there's four basic positions that I think most people take when they, when you ask them the question about Jesus, who is Jesus? You know, what do you believe about Jesus? And so the first one would be this. I believe, I see that people can either, that they can be completely, complete indifference. That's a position that I see that people take. They're just like, you know what? Hey, I, I could go either way. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm not religious at all. He's probably a good man, but I don't, you know, I don't follow Jesus. I don't follow anybody. Just kind of completely indifferent on the whole subject. And that, that can be people that are like that. They kind of live their life in such a way that they ignore spiritual realities. Just indifferent to it all. You've, you've met somebody like that? Just completely indifferent to the whole subject? I think that a lot of people find themselves like that. Then you, you have a next category of people that they can tend to be uh, their position can be a uh, hostile rejection. And they're just angry. They're angry at God. They're angry at Jesus. Maybe they were raised in church and they were raised to believe in a, a form of Christianity that wasn't accurate and they believed things about God that wasn't true, that they, that they believed that they, didn't, that they weren't going to have to suffer. They believed that they weren't going to go through difficult circumstances in life. They believed a false gospel about Jesus. And so... When, when things started happening that were difficult, when their family member got cancer maybe or, or they lost their job, they, they become hostile and they reject. That can be people that go that route that, that maybe they were never saved. And then maybe you've got people just generally speaking, maybe they were never involved in church, but they, they look at life. They look at the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the tragedies all around the world and, and, and they think, how... How can God be real? How can God be true? And how can Jesus be who he says he was? How can he be God when all this bad stuff happens? And they're just angry at God. They're angry at Jesus. And so they have a position of hostile rejection. And then I think there's a third category. And I would call this uh, third position. I would call this religious to- tolerance. And this is just kind of like the idea, very popular, is that everything's good. All of it's good. You know, you didn't really matter what you believe. You know, hey, more power to you if you believe in Jesus. More power to you if you don't believe in him. More power to you if you believe in, in Islam. You believe in, if you're a Jehovah Witness, if you're a Mormon, whatever. If you, if you don't believe in a God at all, just more power to you. And it's just kind of this idea of that, that all roads lead to the same place. And there's no really one truth. Everything is truth. And that's kind of the view currently in our culture. It's been around for, for, for centuries, but it's more prevalent now. It's becoming more and more, uh, more and more the, 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 the normal view. The religious tolerance position 
Uh, and then the last position that I think that someone can hold is belief and worship. Belief and worship. You're either completely indifferent, you don't really care. You're either a hostile rejecter of all things God and Christ. You're tolerant. You're either you're tolerant or you believe in the claims of Jesus Christ and you worship him. You believe and you worship, you know, and there's really no middle ground. You know, people want to say that there's middle ground as concerning Jesus is you don't have to believe uh, that he's God. You can just believe he's a good teacher, follow his principles, follow his ways. But, you know, scripture doesn't give us that option. There's really only two options that we find in all of scripture concerning Jesus Christ. It's either belief or rejection. Because all of Scripture, I mean, throughout the, God, throughout the Old Testament, the prophecies concerning Christ, and throughout the New Testament, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, Jesus declares himself to be God. And then, and then in, in Paul's writings in the New Testament, and throughout the rest of the books of the New Testament, Jesus is declared to be God. He's, he's not just a good teacher. So the Bible itself doesn't give us that picture that he's just one religious leader among a buffet of re- religious leaders that people can just pick and choose. Well, I'll, I'll follow Jesus. No, it's, it's Jesus portrays himself, declares himself, positions himself as the only way. So if we call ourselves Christians, this is our position that we believe and we worship him as God. You can't have any of the other positions, especially the, in, the indifferent position or the, um, or the tolerance uh, thought. And call yourself a Christian. A Christian believes that Jesus is God and they surrender to him and they worship him. And, and so this is just kind of the picture of what I, I believe that most people, these four positions that people take. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they thought, they had a view of who Jesus was. They had several different views. Let's look at a couple of views before we get into John 5. Jesus made this bold statement in John 8. Um, speaking to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, he said, you were of your father, the devil. This is what he told, this is what Jesus told the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews. He said, you're of your father, the devil. And he says this, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So basically Jesus was telling the Pharisees, if I told you lies, you would believe me. But because I say what's true, you don't believe me. You're of your father, the devil. And so this is what the religious Jews, this is their position concerning Jesus after he told them this in John 8. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That was their position, that he was a Samaritan. So how did the Jews view a Samaritan? They viewed a Samaritan like they were an outcast, like they were a a mixed breed, that they were less than human and that they were... They, that they were pagan, that they were that they worshipped a false god, and and so for the Jews, for the Pharisees to look at Jesus and say you're a Samaritan, and then to top it off, they said you're demon possessed. So that was a position that people in Jesus's day took concerning him. Then you go on to John ten before in John ten nineteen through twenty before. Uh, we get to there earlier in John ten, Jesus says, "I am the door." If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus made this bold truth claim. I am the way in. I am the door. And if anyone's going to be saved, it's going to be because they enter by me, through me. 
And, li- and, and listen to the position that the Jews took concerning Jesus. There was a certain division among the Jews because of these words. Because Jesus made a bold declaration about who he was, there was a division that arose amongst the Jews because of those words. And many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. So the Jews thought, man, you're, you're worse than a Samaritan, you're demon-possessed, and you're a lunatic. That's the position that they took. You're insane. He is insane. Why listen to him? You look at John 8. The Pharisees continue with another view of Jesus. It says, you are doing the works your father did. They, and they said, they said to, to him, now, that this is Jesus saying that, that they uh, are of their, their, their father, Satan. And then they responded to Jesus saying, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they were declaring that Jesus was an illegitimate child. He's insane. He's demon possessed. He's, he's like a Samaritan and he's from an illegitimate birth. So, so you would think, man, it can't get any worse than that, right? Let's, con- let's continue on. Let's look at Matthew 12. Jesus was casting out some demons, doing works of, of, of miracles amongst the Jews. And you look at Matthew 12, 22 through 24. Here's another position the Pharisees took concerning Jesus. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, now let's just think about that for a second. <coughs> so he, 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 he set free a demon oppressed man who was blind, he was mute, couldn't see, couldn't talk. It was brought to him. He was healed. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? So that they're thinking, we know this man. Can this be the son of David? Can he, just, can he really just be human? Because somebody that's just human really can't do this. This can't just be the son of David. This can't be a normal person. And look what it says there. But when the Pharisees heard it, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, only by Satan, this man cast out demons. So now they attribute the works of God to the work of Satan. And that's whenever you get the famous scripture that says that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only unpardonable sin. Because Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he tells them, he says, if you are going to attribute who I am and the power I work into the work of Satan and you stay in that position, your sins will not be forgiven. That is the only unforgivable sin. It's to stay in a position of rejection of Jesus. If you die in your sins, he's looking at them, he's basically saying, if you die in your sins and you die in the position of believing that I am from Satan, it will not be forgiven you. You have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And these Pharisees are angry. They, this is how they have viewed Jesus. They're not, they're not indifferent. They're not religiously tolerant. What, what are they? They're hostile. They're angry. They are mad at Jesus because Jesus is coming in and messing up their system. And, and we, we left off with two miracles that took place. And one of them was from this man that was lame for 38 years. And Jesus healed him. But when did Jesus heal him? What, 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 what day was it? The Sabbath day. 
It was on the Sabbath day. And because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day, the, 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 the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the Jews were angry at Jesus. And they said, how could you do this? How could you do this on the Sabbath day? And so they couldn't handle it. And they said, if, basically, if you're of God, then you would follow the law. Now, what, what's the deal with the Sabbath? The Sabbath was designed by God to be a time of rest, that we would honor God, that we would cease from labor, from our work, and that we would have a day set aside to honor Him, to worship Him, to exalt Him. But the Pharisees, they took that good, that good day, they took that good reality and that good truth that we should all follow, and they made it into something that it should not be. They, they added to it. And they said, they said, you can't do any work at all. You can't walk a certain number of feet on the Sabbath day. You can't, do, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath day. You can't, you can't do any type of good. Even if it's, if, if, if it's work, if it's extra effort, you cannot do it on the Sabbath day. And if you do, you are dishonoring God. They took the spirit of the Sabbath and they made it into something it should not be. Jesus never broke the Sabbath according to the true meaning of the Sabbath. But according to the perversion of the Pharisees, he broke the Sabbath. And because he healed, he did good. He healed this man that had been lame for 38 years. He did good on the Sabbath. And they still hated him for it. And they wanted to kill him. Let's, let's, let's pick up in John 5, starting in verse 17. We, we, we're just going to look at, at okay, here's, here's the views. I kind of give you four basic views that people can have concerning Jesus. We, we looked at the views of the Pharisees concerning Jesus, that he was, he was of Satan, he was insane, he was demon-possessed. Now, what does Jesus say about himself? And this is the longest section of a declaration from Jesus about who he is. And we're going to take it verse by verse here. We're going to take a, a, few, a few different verses. We're going to look at it and see how does Jesus say we should, we should view him. Let's look at the first section here, John 5, 17 through 18. But Jesus answered them. This is the Pharisees that are angry at him for healing this man on the Sabbath day. Jesus, <coughs> Jesus answered them. My father is working until now and I am working. My father is working until now and I am working. Verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Think, think of that. How crazy is this? Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day and they're so angry at him for breaking their traditions that they want to kill the man. They want to kill him. They are hostile and angry at Jesus. They want to kill him for breaking their traditions. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, or their, their, their additions to the Sabbath, their traditions, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know, this is why they crucified Jesus. This is why they called him a blasphemer, because he unmistakably declared himself to be equal with God when he would declare himself to be the son of God and God to be his father. And this is what Jesus is saying in verse 17. He says, but Jesus answered them to their anger about him healing on the Sabbath day or working on this <coughs> on, on the Sabbath day. This was his answer. My father is working until now and I am working. You know, the rabbis would give God a pass on, on the Sabbath. They would give God a pass on the Sabbath because this is what they would say. This is true. They would say that God the Father is busy 
sustaining the universe. So he has to work on the Sabbath. So God himself works on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is saying there. My father is working until now, meaning meaning that the father God, <coughs> I mean, Jesus was a rabbi. He knew their beliefs. And so he's telling him, our father God, he's working until now. He's sustaining the, the universe, right? And he says, and I'm working too. So what did he just do right there? He said, me and the father were one. We're equal. So what's the first declaration that Jesus is telling us? Is telling these Pharisees about himself. How does Jesus say we should view him? Firstly, Jesus is equal with God. And that's the only option. Either, I mean, well, there's other options. Either Jesus is equal with God, he's God, or he's a lunatic. He's a madman. He's insane. Like the Pharisees viewed him. There's no in-between. There's no, well, I mean, just I'm going to follow his ways. I'm going to follow his principles. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not following good principles. And whenever we turn Christianity into just following good principles, then we flipped Christianity on its head. I can find lots of good principles to live by in life. You can find great leadership principles. You can find great principles on the Internet, on YouTube, from people that are very persuasive in their communication skills, and they can help you live life and do life well. That's not Christianity. Christianity, Jesus made, Jesus is the source of Christianity, and he made, makes the bold declaration that I and my Father are one. He's working. I'm working. I am the door. If you want to be saved, you come through me. That's Christianity. This is the first way that Jesus says we should view him, that he's equal with God. The fact that Jesus put himself on equal terms with God the Father leaves no room for us to view him in any way less than God. And you know, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. When Jesus is looking at these Pharisees who are angry with him about healing on the Sabbath, this is kind of my paraphrase of what Jesus was saying when he said, God's working until now. And I'm working, this is my paraphrase. Jesus is saying, God the Father has been working continually. And I'm working. We are one. So, that makes me Lord over the Sabbath. I can do what I please any day of the week. That's basically what he was telling them. He's looking at him, he's like, you know what? My Father's been working, I'm working, we're one. I'm Lord over the Sabbath. This is my day. And I'm going to work if I want to. This is, I can do whatever I want any day of the week. You know how stunning that is to the Pharisees? I mean, we, that's, I mean, we know why they killed them. It was blasphemy for, to them for anybody to equate themselves with God. But think about how crazy it is that in spite of all the miracles, in spite of all the things they saw him do, when he would make bold declarations like this, you would, you would think that they would get it. You would have thought and some did. Some believed. But the majority, at, at the end, they rejected him. And actually, we're, we're going to get into John 6. And in, in, I don't know when. We're in John 5, in this section. John 6, 66. You, you guys know what John 6, 66 says? 666. Six, six. It really, it's kind of a, it's a verse that talks about, says that, that many of the disciples left. And follow him no more. John 6.66. It's because Jesus started talking about the sacrifice of discipleship. And he made the bold declaration. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you. John 6.66 after that. And many that that were followers of his left. 
left him. So, so this, is, this is why they crucified him. Because he said hard sayings. He came and undid their, their, their religion of hypocrisy that the Pharisees had turned it into. And so, Jesus is equal with God. This is what he wants us to see. He is Lord over the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, I'm not going to read the whole section here. But I'm just going to paraphrase and get to the last couple of verses. But Jesus' disciples were, were eating grain on the Sabbath. They were plucking grain and they were eating it. And the Pharisees, again, on the Sabbath, were upset at Jesus for his disciples doing this. And Jesus says this in verse 6. I, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the, guilt, the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus declares himself to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, and that he is Lord over the Sabbath. He is equal with God. Do you remember the first message in the book of John in our, in our study? I preached that first message, John 1, uh, 1, 1 through 4 is what, is what we covered. Such a beautiful section. It's unmistakable. Scripture tells us that Jesus is equal with God. John 1, 1 through 2, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So the Word, we see in verse 14, became flesh and dwells, dwells among us. So the Word is Jesus. So John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. So that means that God, that Jesus was in the beginning with God at creation. And he created everything that we see. So he was in the beginning, but it says that he was with God. So that means it's a picture of the Trinity there. At, at creation, it says that the Holy Spirit brooded over the waters. And you got Jesus at creation. You got God the Father at creation. You have a beautiful picture of the Trinity. He is, he is God. He's the Word in the, in the beginning, but he's with God. He's the Son of God. And the Word was, was God. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. So the first view that Jesus wants all of us to see. And to know. Is that he's equal with God. He is equal with God. He is God in the flesh. He didn't come just to be a good man. Just to be a good teacher. Just to give us a different way. To live a good life. He came as the son of God. To take our place on the cross. To be our substitute. He came to, to show us life, to give us freedom. What's the second thing that Jesus came? That Jesus wants us to see, wants to declare, that he declares to us that, that, that he is. The second thing is, is that Jesus only performs the works of God. He's equal with God, and he only performs the works of God. Let's continue back in John five nineteen through 20. <coughs> so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son... Speaking of himself, the son of God can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that not only am I equal with God, that he's working and I'm working, we're working together. I'm doing his we, we, we are equal, but I'm doing his works. I only do the works of God. The things you see me do are the works of our father. He's telling this to the Pharisees. He's basically telling them the things you see me do that you're upset about. This is coming from God because I only do the things I hear. only say the things I hear my father say and do the things I see him do. 
So they're angry. He's basically telling them, if you're going to be angry, you have to be angry at your father, God. Be angry at the father because he is, because I only do what he tells me to do. So we know that Jesus was perfectly submitted to the father's will. If you fast forward in Jesus's life, he demonstrated his perfect submission to only doing the works that the father wanted him to do. You guys remember back in the garden before Jesus was arrested and crucified. He's praying in the garden and he's under so much stress. What happens to him? He starts sweating drops of blood. We see in Luke 22, 40 verses 41 through 42. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw from the disciples who were passed out sleeping. Right. He told them, he says, hey, won't you tarry a little while and pray? Pray that you won't enter into temptation. Because he knew temptation was coming. And they all passed out. Isn't that like us? We just pass out. (laughs) We just pass out. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're so much like those disciples that we tend to make fun of. We are just like them. But Jesus was praying. And this is what he says. He knelt down. He prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, if it is possible, remove this cup, this cup of suffering that I'm about to experience. Remove it from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is this is this was Jesus's life. He was only going to do the works of God. He didn't come to do his own will. He didn't come to live his own life according to his own plan. You know, he was God in the flesh. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have made people follow him. He could have set up his own kingdom that 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 was only earthly. But he didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom. He came to only do the works of the Father, to do His will. And He demonstrated that ultimately by what? By dying on the cross, by surrendering His life to the will of the Father, to be a sacrifice for us. Not my will, but Your will be done. Jesus was the perfect reflection of the heart of our Father God. Do you remember back in the Gospels when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, can You show us the Father? We, we, we want to know him. We want to see him. What is he like? And Philip, Philip is the one who said that. And Jesus looked at Philip and said, have you been with me this long? Have you been a part of my life? Have you, have you seen my miracles? Have you heard me speak? Have you been with me this long and you still don't know? You still don't get it? Come on. Like hard head here. Don't you get it? And what did Jesus say? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. When you see me, you see the works that I do. It's my father. This is what my father is like. This is who he is. So Jesus wants all of us to see this. He wants us to know. He wants all of humanity to know that he is equal with God. He's just not a good rabbi. He's just not a good teacher. He's just not a different way to live a good life. He is equal with God. And if you want to know the heart of the father, look at the life of Jesus because he only does the works the father wants him to do so what were the works what are some works just talk to me for just a minute I wrote down a list what do we see emphasized through the life of Jesus if you when we when you think about (coughs) you think about the life of Jesus in the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John what do you see emphasized in the life of Jesus character traits qualities things that he emphasized you can talk to me. Yeah. 
mercy to the woman at the well. Absolutely. Love when he came down. Love in the, in the incarnation. For God so loved the world that <clears throat> he gave his only begotten son. Love. Mercy. Unlimited compassion. Absolutely. Compassion. Hmm. Hmm? Patience. Yeah, think about the patience. Sometimes, though, you can read, read, read between the lines. It was not sinful impatience. <laughs> but sometimes you read between the lines, you think, you know, how long am I have to put up with you guys, these disciples that were following him? You guys don't get a whole lot. But he was patient. He would teach them. He'd work with them. Patience, love, compassion. Angry with the people in the, in the temple. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's nothing that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, in his life, that was contrary to the will of the Father. Because he was God. Him and God were one. He was God in the flesh. There was nothing contrary. So everything we see in the life of Jesus is a reflection of the heart of our Father God. Is there anything else you can think of? Forgiveness? Forgiveness, absolutely. You said you got a question? Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, when, when, when he made that declaration, they're, they're like, when he said he's gonna raise, he was going to d- destroy it in three days and raise it up, they, they thought, it took us 40 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? You're a madman. Right? So, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness, love. You guys must have read my notes. What do we see emphasized through the life of Jesus? Because it's obvious, right? We see compassion. We see love. Mercy. You know, I, you think of his compassion. How many times you see in the Gospels it says that Jesus is, is looking at a crowd. And, you know, it wasn't just 50 people that followed Jesus when he was doing his miracles. It was tens of thousands of people. And he would lift his eyes up and see the crowds. And it says he was filled with compassion. Where did that compassion come from? From the heart of the Father compassionate for those. And it says, when he would look at the crowd, he says that they were like lost sheep. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Full of compassion. Love. Mercy. Like, like the woman at the well. Full of mercy and compassion. Zeal for the truth. When he went into the temple, the Pharisees had turned, had turned the sacrificial system for the atonement of the sins of the nation of Israel into a marketing scheme. They turned it into something it was not meant to be. They had, they had perverted the heart of the law and made it into something that profited them personally. And he had a zeal for the truth. His anger was a righteous anger. He, he had, we, we, we see confrontation of hypocrisy. This is what we were speaking of. We see forgiveness on the cross demonstrated in his life, provided forgiveness. And, and this is one that not, not many people talk about. Everyone likes to talk about the love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. Not, not many talk, people talk about a standard of righteousness. You know, Jesus gave a standard of righteousness that is the highest of any religious leader. You know, the, you know most false religions, most religious leaders basically tell you that the standard of righteousness has to do with how you live on the outside. They say, you do this, you do this, you do that, and you're right with God. You try your best to be good. 
that's, that's, that you, you try your best to be good and you try hard not to be bad. That's a religious system. What did Jesus do? And that, that was the religious system of the Pharisees. They added to the law all these restrictions and traditions and codes of conduct. And they missed the heart of the law. So what, what do we see in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount? Over and over again, he looked at the Pharisees. He told them, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder. You've heard it said, do not bear false witness. Do not lie. You, and, and so he would point to the law and he would say, but I say to you, my standard of righteousness has to do with your heart. You, you say don't commit adultery. The law, the, the law says don't commit adultery. That's wrong. But I say don't lust in your heart for another woman. That's wrong. You'll be judged for that. You say, excuse me, the law says don't murder. Absolutely, it's wrong. But I say, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you're guilty of murder. So his standard of righteousness was far greater than even the Pharisees. And that's why they hated him even more. Because, because they were hypocrites. And they weren't even following the heart of the law. They were angry and they were adulterers at heart. And Jesus exposed it. So all of this is a dim, And this is what Jesus wants us to see. This is what he's, he's telling us in John 5. He's saying, I, if you want to know what God looks like, you want to know what the Father looks like, look at my works because I only do the things my Father does. Let's go back to the text. Let's see the third thing that Jesus wants us to see about who he is, his declaration about himself. The third thing is this, that Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Let's look at John 5, 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Son gives life. So also the Son gives life. He's putting himself on par with God. Again, he's, he's making himself equal with God. He only does the works that the Father says he should do. And just like the Father raises the dead and gives life, the Son also gives life. And this is what we, this, this is the crux of, of, of Christianity, right? The crux of, of crux, the core of Christianity is that true salvation, the, the be, being raised from spiritual death to life only comes through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, you, you, you look back to John 4. We, I, I covered that, that, that conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And what was Jesus trying to get that Samaritan woman to see? Trying to get her to see that the source for physical life and sustenance, this water she was drawing from was, 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 was empty. And that she didn't want to come back to that, but he was actually trying to point her to the, the source of her spiritual sustenance was empty as well. And that, and that she was spiritually bankrupt. And that he was going to provide spiritual life. And this is what we see in John 4, 4 13-14. Jesus said to her, to, to, to the Samaritan woman, everyone... Who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone drinks of this natural water. You're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him. Will never be thirsty, of, never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, will, will become in him. This is Christianity. What's Christianity? In him. In you. In you. A spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. That's what Jesus came. He came to bring Life. The Father raises the dead and the Son raises the dead because they are equal. Jesus is the Son of God and He is the only one that's been given permission by God the Father to give life only through Jesus Christ. John 6, 26 through 27. Jesus answered 
the ones that followed him. Jesus, we'll get to this in John 6. Jesus feeds the multitudes, feeds them with bread and fish. Thousands of people get fed and they all are following him. Obviously, right? Hey, maybe we're going to get lunch again for free. Who likes free food? Anybody loves free food? I love free food. You want to take me out to eat? I am always open. <laughs> if you need my number, I'll give it to you after service. I love free food. And so did these people. They're following after Jesus. And listen to, listen to what Jesus said to them in John 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. He's saying, look, 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 this is not what I came to do. I didn't come to be a welfare program. I didn't come to just be somebody that that, that gives you food to eat and, and money in your pocket. You know that this scripture right here throws off the prosperity gospel right here. He didn't. Jesus just didn't come to give you money and food and bread. Actually, Jesus says in Matthew six, don't worry about food. And money and clothing. What are you going to eat, drink, and wear? Your father knows what you need long before you're worried about it. Don't think about those things. Jesus says, I didn't come to be a a welfare program. That you just follow me, I'm going to feed you. Don't labor. Don't labor for that bread. Don't work for the food that perishes. This is not what it's about. This is temporary. Just like the woman at the well. But labor, work. For the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. Who's going to give it to you? How do you get life? Who did the father say can give life? The son of man, the son of God, Jesus Christ. The food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, for on Christ, God, the father has set his seal, his seal of approval. This is my son. What what, 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 what did the... The the voice from heaven, the Father God say at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Follow him. God set his seal on him. Jesus has the power to raise the dead, to give spiritual life. Again, Acts 4, to illustrate this further, verses 11 through 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus has the power to give life. And this is what Jesus is declaring in John 5 to these Pharisees that are angry with him for for healing a man on the Sabbath day. He's saying, you're missing the point. You're getting hung up in the fact that I broke your tradition. But I'm telling you, I didn't just, I didn't just come to heal sick bodies. I didn't just come to feed people that were hungry. I came to give life. I am equal with God. God is working and I am working. I'm only doing the works that He does. And I came. The, the God, the, God the Father has given me permission to give life. It's through my name. That life comes. True spiritual life. What's the fourth thing that Jesus, as we go through the text, wants us to see about himself? When he's declaring about himself. Fourthly, Jesus has the power to judge. Jesus has the power to judge. That's what it says in John 5, 22. So he says he can give life. The Father says, through Jesus is life. Through Jesus is spiritual life. And then verse 22, he says, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. What does that mean? 
The Father judges no one. He's given all judgment to the Son. What that means is, is that through people's decision concerning Jesus Christ is where judgment's going to come. You're either going to believe in Jesus and receive judgment, or you're going to, excuse me, believe in Jesus and not be judged, or you're going to reject Jesus and be judged. Judgment comes through the Son. And not getting judgment is through the Son, through belief and faith. And this is what Jesus is saying. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to, to me. He's looking at these Pharisees and, he is, and he's saying, I am God. I am the one that can judge. And I'm saying I'm equal with God. And I'm saying that judgment comes through me. That is, this is why they killed him. This is why they rejected him. John 3.16, famous verse. You guys all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, not so popular. Not so much. No one wears this on their eye black. Tim Tebow, when he, what, he, I think he wore John 3.16 one time on his eye black. and uh, He played football and people will hold signs up John 3.16 at football games so people can see. They, they should hold John 3.17 as well. So people can see that. 17 is the crux. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So wait, wait, wait a minute. That means there's a possibility of condemnation and judgment? Absolutely. But God didn't send his son to just, to, to just to destroy all non-believers. The purpose that God sent his son was so that non-believers, all of us born in sin, wouldn't have to be condemned. There's a possibility that some will, and some will be condemned, and some will be judged. But that is not why God sent His Son into the world. He sent His Son into the world to provide a way of escape. That's, that's the crux of John 3.16. Condemnation is coming. Judgment is coming. People will end up in the lake of fire. And John 3.16 and 17 is saying... God loves, and because he loves, this is why he came. He didn't come. He wouldn't have come if it was just coming to condemn. We were all, we were condemned already. That's what scripture says. We were condemned already because of our sinful nature. He came because of his love so that we wouldn't have to be condemned. So we would be be, be given an opportunity to, to surrender to the gospel. That's why he came. Find a lot of people, they, they had this view of God's judgment. And this is kind of things that they say. They'll say something like, you can't judge me. Only God can. Or maybe you've seen a bumper sticker. God is my judge. Or maybe somebody wears a t-shirt. God is my judge. I always cringe when I see someone wear that. God is my judge. And I, I think, do they really know what that means? God is my judge. You can't judge me. Don't judge me for how I live. Don't judge me for what I do, for what I say. You know, I, I, I want to tell them, hey, don't worry about me. I'm not the one that you have to be concerned about. Worry about the one that gave you breath in your lungs. Worry, be concerned about how your heavenly father sees you. Not, not, not how I see you. You can't judge me, only God can. Or God is my judge. And you know what? They speak truth. Only God can judge. And what did Jesus say about himself? All judgment comes through me. If someone's going to be judged, it's because they, they looked at Christ, they examined, and they got hostile. And they said, you know what? I want nothing to do with them. Can't be real. I'm angry. 
at him. Or they, they looked at Jesus and they said, you know what? Hey, you know, I'm not going to believe in him. It really doesn't matter. I'm going to believe in a, a different way. All roads lead to the same place. They looked at him. They got angry. They were indifferent. But ultimately, that was rejection. So judgment comes through Christ and how you view him. What do you say about Jesus? This is what Acts 17, 30 through 32 says. Paul's talking to some intelligent people at the, in, in Athens. People that like to look at the, gaze at the stars and contemplate weighty matters. And they're worshiping. They have a, 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 a plaque that says to the unknown God. They want to make sure they cover all their bases. They're going to worship all these false gods. But they're going to also make sure just in case there's a God that's out there that we don't know is the true God. We want to worship him too. Paul's talking to them in Acts 17. He says this, the times of, of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to what? To repent. Because he has fixed a day. The day is coming on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And how, how is he going to judge a world in righteousness? By a what? By a man. Who's that man that's going to judge? That Jesus says, declares of himself. It's, it's, it's Jesus. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How does Jesus have the power to judge? Because he was risen from the dead. Proved that he was God. Defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some said, oh, give me a break. Are you serious? Risen from the dead? That's impossible. But others said, we will hear you again about this. I'm going to talk to you about this some more. Second Thessalonians says this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Wow. It's a strong verse right there. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as all, as, as, as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance. You, you like this, this picture of Jesus? Love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. How about this view of Jesus? Inflicting vengeance. We don't preach about that in church, do we? You know, Jesus is going to come and inflict vengeance. Recompense. People are going to, because of their rejection of him, are going to earn the wrath of of God. It's a sobering picture. He's going to come. With his mighty angels in flaming fire. Inflicting vengeance on those. Who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. And to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed strong and Jesus declares in John 5 he says the father's given me the right to judge he says judgment will come through me 
And it's up to, it's up to you. It's up to me. What do, what do we believe about Jesus? Son of God. The only way to salvation. What's the fifth thing in conclusion that Jesus wants us to see? He's equal with God. He only does the works of God. He only does what the Father says he should do. He brings judgment. Through him comes judgment. And lastly, Jesus is worthy of honor and worship. So it says in John 5, 23 through, through 24, it says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. What's he saying? Or he's looking at these Pharisees and he's telling them, just like you honor the Father, God, you have to honor me. You have to worship me. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Man, that is so strong. He's looking at them and saying, saying, if you do not honor me, then you are not honoring the God that you serve. Looking at these Jews saying, you, these Pharisees especially, you don't honor God. You think you honor God by your traditions and your and your laws, the things you've added to the law. You think you're righteous and you're honoring God. But I'm telling you, if you reject me, if you reject me, you cannot honor the Father. Because He sent me to be a provision of life. He sent me to be the way, to be the door, to be the entrance to eternal life, to true spirituality. So if you reject me, it is impossible for you to honor God. That is the core of Christianity. It is impossible for anyone to be right with God, to honor God, to say they are right with God, to say that they worship God if they don't worship Jesus. You cannot say you love God if you don't love the Son. You cannot say you love God if you don't love Jesus. If you separate Jesus from God, you don't have the true gospel. They're one and the same. You cannot separate. It's a package deal. Jesus is saying here, a person cannot say they love God if they do not love the Son. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Such a beautiful section of Scripture talking about Jesus deserving of honor, just like we honor the Father God. Paul writes this about Jesus. Telling us that we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. What were his divine privileges? He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have left us without a hope. He could have kept his divine privileges and stayed in in heaven. But he did not think of his divine privileges as something to cling to. But he says, you know what? I'm going to become a man. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross therefore God elevated him to what? to the place of highest honor And that's what Jesus was saying in John 5 if you honor God you have to honor the son if you say you honor the father you must honor me God has elevated him. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, who is equal with God, at the name of Jesus, who's the only one that gives life, 
At the name of Jesus through whom judgment comes. At that name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? This is the bold declaration that Jesus made. It is unmistakable. Unmistakable. So if you ever meet with anybody who wants to talk to you about your beliefs, who wants to debate with you about who Jesus is, just keep it simple. When they ask you, what do you believe? Just say, I believe Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus was God. He is God. He was risen from the dead. He was crucified and buried and risen on the third day. He is exalted. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth. Jesus is God. When you say Jesus is God, that separates you from all other false religious systems. There's false religious systems that say that Jesus is is a God of many gods. Some people, some false religious systems say that that Jesus was was the stepchild of Satan. Some false religious systems just basically say that Jesus is a good teacher, like many other good teachers. But if you're a Christian, you don't believe that. If you believe the Bible, you believe that Jesus is God. And that's only through his name that salvation comes. And, and I just want to tell you, believing that is not easy. If you really believe it. Believing, I, I, I should say, believing that is easy to believe when you see the truth. But living that in our culture is not easy. Actually standing for the truth in our culture can be difficult at times. Because we live in this false sense of tolerance. You know, hey, I, I want religious tolerance, don't you? I don't want the government to come and tell me I can't worship Jesus, right? So I, that's good tolerance, right? Hey, if people want to believe and want to worship a stick, hey, we live in America. They can worship a stick. I'm going to worship the true God. And I don't want anybody to take that from me. That's not the tolerance that is preached today. The tolerance that is preached today that everyone is saying that we should have is that all beliefs are equally true. And that you can't say your belief is true and someone else's is not. That's intolerant. So true tolerance that they say is not tolerance. That's just basically saying that everything is the same. So it's difficult to stand up and to say Jesus is the only way. But you know what? God's got, God gives us courage to do that. God calls you to do that. God calls us to do that. That's the gospel message. Matt Carter says this in conclusion before we pray. This is a pastor in Texas. He says this. He says, God didn't send his son to, to, to die so you'd respect him. He sent his son to die so that you would throw yourself at his feet and ask him to rescue you. God is not after your, your respect. God is after you. He says, anything short of coming in faith to Jesus Christ to save you amounts to disrespect. The only way to honor God is to embrace the gift of mercy and forgiveness Jesus won for you on the cross. Amen? Amen. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us through your son, Jesus. God, I I just pray that you'd help us all to stand on the truth, to not be intimidated. God, as believers, Lord, that we 
would hold to the truth of the gospel. The gospel is nothing less than that Jesus is God, the Son of God, risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming back again. Let us hold to that truth, believe it with all of our heart, and let us live with compassion and mercy and grace and preach that gospel. I thank you for all of those that are here tonight. Thank you that you're, you're with them. I pray that your blessings would rest upon them. Protect us as we drive home tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, be here on Sunday morning. Got a very important service on Sunday morning. Be here on Sunday morning.